Romans chapter 5 in your Bibles. Though I feel like I don't need to preach because Pastor Ingram's message he just preached said everything I was going to say and that song said everything I was thinking to say. And honestly, I'm grateful for that because it means the Lord wants a message for us tonight. Romans chapter 5 in your Bibles. And we'll get there in just a second. I do just want to say thank you, Pastor Ingram, for the opportunity to preach tonight. And I want to just share something with you that's on my heart because it's what the Lord's been teaching me. And, you know, Pastor Ingram said life is simple. It's trusting Jesus. It's trusting Jesus for salvation. And Colossians tells us that as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. And so if you're saved by faith in Christ, you walk by faith in Christ, and it's that easy. And when you understand that, there's joy in your Christian life. And as we find here in Romans chapter 5, there's hope. And the love of God is manifest in your hearts. And that makes life and the Christian life everything. And we're going to find that tonight in Romans chapter 5. But as I was thinking about what God would have for us tonight, the verse in Hebrews chapter 11 came to my mind. Verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. In the beginning, that verse says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You will not please God without trusting Him. You can't for eternity, you can't spend eternity with Jesus without trusting Him for salvation. And you will not gain everything God has for you in your Christian life if you do not simply trust Him by faith. But I like what the rest of that verse says because it's not simply getting things from God. It's understanding who God is. Because faith is coming to God believing that He is that He is who He says He is, and that He will reward if you seek Him. And that's faith. Faith is not getting things from God. It's experiencing who God is. And when you understand who God is, you experience what He can do in and through your life. And I want us to focus tonight on not discovering what God does, but discovering who God is. And we're going to find that here in Romans chapter 5. I actually just took a class on the book of Romans. And I think Luke... Maddie and Morgan were all in that class with me. So every BCM student in this church tonight was in that class, just so you know. But we took a, two weeks and literally studied just through the text of the book of Romans. And it was, it was amazing. Uh, Pastor David Zempley, pastors in Indianapolis, he came in just for two weeks, taught us the book of Romans. And it was life-changing in many ways. But what Paul does in the beginning of the book of Romans is he, he explains the need for the gospel. The fact that all have sinned, and we find that in chapter 3, no matter who you are, no matter who you think you are, you need the gospel of salvation. The fact that you've sinned and deserve to die, and that because of that you can't escape that judgment, you need to be saved by faith in Christ alone. And he explains what that looks like in chapter 3, and he talks about how Abraham then was justified based on his faith. And then he gets to chapter 5, and he says in the beginning, therefore, being justified by faith, based on all of this, this is what we have. And look at what you have this evening. Verse number one, we have peace with God. Something you didn't have before. You didn't have a relationship with God. God was against you. You were not his child. You were in opposition to the God that created you. Yet now, through faith in Christ, you have peace with God. And if you've accepted him by faith, that's what you have tonight. You have peace with God. But then look at verse number two. By this same faith, then, we have access by grace... Wherein we, uh, we have access into this grace wherein we stand. So not only do we have peace with God, but we have access to everything that God has given us in order to live according to how he has commanded us to live. But there's more. He says then, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So as if that wasn't enough, we can live here on this earth one day looking forward to an eternity in heaven with Jesus. 
And I like what it says at the very beginning. It says, therefore being justified by faith. Justification, the legal declaration that you are righteous. And that should get you excited this evening, because it does for me. You're legally declared righteous, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you have peace with God, you have grace to access everything God has for you, and you have the hope of a home in heaven for all of eternity. But look what he says in verse number three. And not only so, there's more. There's more. Uh, One commentary said that phrase could be translated, but wait, there's more. And think about all that's wrapped up in the gospel. Peace with God. Grace to access God's mercy. Justification. Everything that's encompassed in the gospel. There's more. And if you're content tonight with just salvation, Christian, there's a whole lot more you're missing out on. Because the Christian life isn't about primarily a home in heaven. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what faith accesses. A relationship with God. Not just what God does, but who God is. I came across a story this summer when I was preparing this message originally, and there was a man in England, his name is Nick, and Nick has a very interesting job. What he does is he owns a company called Tanks A Lot, and maybe some of you would like this. He goes on eBay, and he buys old army vehicles, tanks, and all these different things, and he just brings them to his house and rides them. No joke, that's what he does. And so one day he was on eBay looking for a tank. You know, I'm just going to buy another one. And um, he found a really good deal. It was $38,000. It was a Chinese-made tank that they copied from the Russians that the Chinese sold to Saddam Hussein. So this is a a pretty good tank. It's only $38,000. So Nick said, yeah, I can do that. Worked out a deal with actually the guy traded for another tank. And sure enough, Nick gets this $38,000 tank. And he's excited. Adds it to his collection. And what he actually does is he'll, he'll invite people out to his place and he'll let them drive them or he'll drive them around. But he's essentially like a, a, grown, a grown boy with his toys. Um, so Nick buys this toy, this toy, this tank, brings it to his house, $38,000. And as he does with every vehicle he buys, his mechanic begins to inspect it just to make sure everything works. And then just to see if there's anything that they should be aware of with this vehicle. Because when it's under different hands and all that different stuff, there's a lot that could be even hidden in that tank. And that's what they found. Because a lot of times in, in, in the midst of warfare, if they know the tank is going to be taken or they know they're going to lose the tank, they're just going to store ammunition and stuff inside the tank. So they, they began looking over this tank. It's, it's the middle of the night, and Nick gets a phone call from his mechanic. He said, hey, I want you to come down here. I found some ammunition stored in one of the fuel compartments. That wasn't highly unusual, but what they wanted was to make sure that if they found any weapons that that was reported because they could get in trouble and just a lot of legalities with that. So Nick makes his way down to the garage. They're just about to open the second fuel compartment. And his mechanic tells him, he says, there's something in here. It feels like a weapon. I can't tell, he said, but it's big and it's heavy. He can hardly lift this fuel compartment up off the tank. He said, well, if you can hold this, I'll reach inside and I'll grab whatever it is out. And so they they start videoing because they want to make sure this is recorded. So the mechanic barely reaches his hand up inside. He said, yeah, I, I don't know what this is. And he pulls it out and it's a gold bar, solid gold bar. And they were shocked. They had no idea that this was going to be in there. And the mechanic says, oh, hold on. There's more in there. So he reaches his hand up again, and he pulls out a second one. He said, well, wait, there's more. Pulls out a third one. He ended up pulling five bars of gold out of this tank. Ended up being $2.4 million worth of gold. You know, Nick was pretty excited when he got a $38,000 tank. But when he found that, he got even more excited. And listen, if you're excited about that you're saved tonight, you should be excited. But there is so much more. There is so much more. But I want to see what Paul tells us what the more is. Because look at verse number three. He says, and not only so, there's more. He said, but we glory in tribulations also. We glory in tribulations. 
That's the more. What's our Christian life about, Paul? There's more, yes. Tribulations, hardships, testings of our faith. Well, how is it that tribulations can contribute more to our Christian life? Well, we'll talk about in a second because Paul says it's tribulations then that work patience and patience that works experience. But I want to talk about what tribulations are here for a second because it's helpful for us to recognize what is a tribulation. And I want to simply define a tribulation as anything that tests your faith. You see, in verse number one, Paul says we've been justified by faith. And we know that we're saved by faith. You cannot be saved without complete dependence on Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, by faith through grace. That's, that's how we're saved, is by faith. And like we talked about earlier, though, we walk the Christian life the same way. And so while salvation was the first step in our journey of faith, that wasn't the last one. Because now God wants to grow us in our dependence on him and believing in who he is and how he can work in through our lives. And so tribulations then are nothing more than God lovingly growing our faith by testing us. Well, tribulations, we often think of, of trials and hard things in our life. And yes, many times testings of our faith come in those things that are uncomfortable. I was at a church not too long ago. Our church took a, our fellowship from the college took a little trip. And we got home and when we were there on Sunday, the pastor mentioned to the church, he said, just so you know, there was a family in their church. They had one daughter and then they had three miscarriages and the lady was pregnant again for the fourth time. And she said, I want you all to pray. This is the longest she's been and we think that this could be successful this time. Well, he texted me on Friday and he said, hey, I just want you to know, just give me a call. But she, um, she lost the baby again. Trials. When it doesn't make any sense. And he told me, he said, the hardest thing that you're trying to wrestle through is what is God doing? And their eight-year-old daughter now wrestling through, what does this mean? Yes, we understand trials are those big things, but I think trials and tribulations in this sense, anything that tests our faith, can be as simple as a step that God leads us to that we're uncomfortable with. The idea of the word tribulation here is a pressure or a pressing. Why is it pressure? Because it's something that God sees as good that we see as bad. Because we don't understand what God does. We don't think like he thinks. We're not going to understand how God is working. We don't see the big picture. And so it's pressure in our human understanding when God puts something in our life that we feel is uncomfortable, but he knows that it's for good. But it's anything that tests our faith. And it might be something that you know you need to take a step of faith, but you're unwilling because you know it will be a trial. It could be something as simple as a financial decision where you know something's coming up at church where if I give such and such amount of money, it's going to hurt me over here. And you know that it would be a trial, yet God could work and you're just hesitant so you don't do it. Listen, Paul says there's so much more to your Christian life and by holding that back, you're holding back the more that God wants to show you in your life. It might be a simple step of faith to just go on outreach. God, you can't use me. I can't talk. I don't know how to even talk to anybody about the gospel but you won't be willing to take that step of faith to let God grow your faith. And so you won't experience what God has for you. I want to quote from Spurgeon because Spurgeon has some amazing thoughts just on this passage, but he says this, the more trial that you have, the more spiritual education you receive. Amen. Trials are not bad. Tribulations are not bad. They're blessings from a loving heavenly father who wants us to grow in our trust of him. I like what 1 Peter says, because 1 Peter says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, may be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I like this, because 
I don't know much about the process of gold, but I've heard that gold is pressurized and it's put in a furnace to, to refine the gold, right? We, we've, we've heard that. And our faith is the same way. God's saying, I'm going to have to, if I'm going to grow it, put it under pressure and put it in the fire. And I'm going to have to test it. He said, but even better than the gold that's going to perish is your faith that will prove to you that I am good. And that's what Paul is talking about. That's why he says in verse number three, we can glory. We can get excited when God says, take a step of faith. And you don't want to. Yes, Lord, I'm going to rejoice, even though it's uncomfortable, because I know you want to teach me something. Let me read this longer quote from Spurgeon, then we'll move on. Beloved, it is a great, it is a mark of great grace to be able to acquiesce in tribulation and to accept it with patient resignation as the Lord's hand. But it is a sign of still greater state of grace when we glory in tribulation. When we welcome it and say, now the Lord is able to elevate me to some upper class in his school, to teach me some deeper truths than I have hitherto learned, to give me a closer acquaintance with some mystery of his kingdom that I have previously had, to work in my heart some new grace which has never been there before. Again, tribulations are not bad. They're a blessing to grow your faith and for you to get to know who God is. But I want to move on because I know we understand that trials are a blessing. But look at what Paul says in verse number three. He says, not only so, the more to your Christian life is not just the tribulations. He said, because we know that tribulation worketh patience. There's a process here. Tribulation works patience and patience works experience. And it says then in verse number five, verse number four, patience works experience, which works hope. And we'll get to hope in a second. But in this progression, I really think the key ingredient is patience. I was thinking the other day, and, and there's a lot of things in life, there's some steps to make something what it would be. And if there's not one key step, it's not what it is. Think about this. Think about baking cookies. We had a baking competition with our academy before we left for Thanksgiving break, and we made some cookie bars. Now, if we mix the dough, and then we put all the stuff in the pan, but we don't bake it, they're not cookie bars. Okay, that every step is necessary, but if you don't bake it, that kind of makes it what it is. Okay, every step is necessary. The tribulation is necessary to get to patience, and the patience is necessary to experience what God has for you. But yet, I don't think what this is, is this is what it is without patience. And I want to think about this for a little bit tonight, because patience is simply this. In the midst of God testing your faith, it's discovering who he is. And if we could say this tonight, tribulation is our faith tested Patience is our faith grown. And I want to think of patience tonight as just simply waiting on God. You see, what James tells us in a similar passage, he says, My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The same idea. But he says then, But let patience have its perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, James gives us a sense of a timeline where God is not immediately going to answer what we've asked for, or God is not immediately going to resolve this discomfort in our life. But he says, in the midst of that waiting, in the midst of that time where you're wondering what God is doing, let patience have its full work. Don't skip the process when God wants to grow you in it. And if we're going to learn anything about what our Christian life is all about, this aspect of patience is so important. Simply waiting on God. But we have to understand what we mean by waiting, because I think we can have two ideas of waiting. First of all, I think it's just the typical sense of, well, I'm just sitting here just passively waiting on what God wants to do. Here's an illustration. When I was in my junior year of high school, we went to the Philippines. Anybody ever been to the Philippines? The Philippines is awesome. 
They're um, very happy people. And that was nice. They're a lot shorter than I am, too. And we played big ball games with them. So the ball was in the air, and they were down here. So if I was looking up, I didn't see them. But we had a wonderful time. We went shopping one day at a huge mall. It's literally, I think, the biggest mall in the world. So we went there, and it's right there in Manila. And we walk inside the store, and I walk over to, like, the T-shirt section. I'm going to buy a T-shirt. And it was amazing to me because all of a sudden there's like seven ladies that just came around me and said, hey, do you want this t-shirt? Do you want this t-shirt? Does this one look good on you? Oh, can I fold that one up since you're not going to buy it? Oh, can I unfold this one for you? Hey, this one's your size. Look, this one matches your eye color. I was shocked. I was like, wow, all these ladies. They're so helpful. Now, what's interesting then is if you go to a grocery store today in America, it seems to be happening in the last year or so. You'll find 57 employees in one aisle and neither one of them is going to help you with anything. What a difference. Where you walk into the store and say, how can I help you? Hey, what can I do? We walk in, oh, no, I can't help you. I'm on the clock. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But this is what we have to understand about waiting. Waiting is not sitting around, I wonder if God's going to work. I wonder when's God's going to work. Waiting is actively looking, when is God going to move? How can I experience more about God today? I think about this in the the context of a restaurant, right? Think about a waiter. The good waiters are watching to see when they can meet needs. The bad waiters are standing in the back saying, waiting for their, their boss to tell them, hey, go clear that table. Hey, go bring this out. And if we're going to understand anything about waiting, it's not passively just sitting around saying, well, I hope God gets through on this deal. It's saying, God, what are you doing? Where are you working? How can I get to know you? It's not passively waiting. It's actively trusting and seeking who God is. And yet tribulations bring us to this point where sometimes we wonder, what is God doing? Well, God, are I feel like you brought me here and then you left me here. God is never leaving you. He's just trying to get you to see, seek me more. And yet our tendency is to run from tribulations. This can't be good. God, God abandoned me when God is saying, no, run to me. This is why I brought it in your life. It might take months. Listen, it might take years. Whatever it takes for God to get a hold of you so that you seek him more. Because God is not primarily concerned with meeting your need and getting you through the problem as is, he wants to know you. You see, our Christian life is about a relationship. It's not about what we can get from God and what we can do for God. It's about getting to know God and for him to shed his love on us. And we're going to see that at the end of this passage. And so if you're constantly looking through a trial to say, what is God doing? Where's the end of this? Your focus is wrong because you should be seeking God in the midst of it. Don't look for the answer. Look for the one who will give the answer. Because this is what's amazing. I was thinking about the attributes of God a few months ago. You know, the attributes of God are not merely characteristics of who God is. They are the very essence of who God is. 1 John 4 tells us God is love. Not just that God is loving. Yes, God is loving because he is love. He is the one who can show love. And so if you understand who God is, you understand what God can do. Spurgeon again said this, There are some who think that they will get experience through tribulations. So they do in a sense, but not the experience of the right kind. Without patience, you will come through a tribulation, you will come through a test of faith, hardened and more sensitive to just your own need than if you sought God through it in patience and said, God, what are you doing? But I think the thing we have to understand as well that James shows us is we don't know what the time frame is. It says, let patience have its perfect work. Not in three months, not in three years, not in three minutes. It says, let patience have a perfect work. God knows the timing. But he knows your heart. And he wants your heart. 
That's why he brought it into your life in the first place. But let's go on because I want to see something fascinating as we get to verse number four. Verse number three again, he says, there's more to your Christian life. It's this, tribulations, the testing of your faith. But he says those testings bring you to the place where you trust and patience then leads to experience. And experience is just this. I've learned to see God work and even though God hasn't answered yet, I know God is good. And in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the test of your faith, in the midst of the tribulation, it's saying, God, you are so good and I choose to trust you. It's not even looking for the answer anymore. Because you don't need God to answer if you have him. I love what Hebrews 11 says. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They didn't need to see the answer because they saw God. That's what God wants us to understand. Don't look for what I can do. Look for me. Look for your loving Heavenly Father that just wants to pour out blessing on you because that's what He does because that's who He is. And when you see how good God is, you no longer need what He can give you if He just gives you His presence. Yet God is good enough to answer your prayer. And look what He says in verse number 4. So when you wait patiently and you experience, then that experience brings you to hope. A confident expectation that God is going to work. And then in verse number five, and hope then maketh not ashamed. It will not be disappointed. God's not going to promise and then not come through on his word. But why? Look at verse number five. He says, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. <clears throat> Do you know why God brings tribulations into our life? Do you know why God tests our faith? To show us his love. Yes, God wants to answer your prayer. And if God gives you a promise, cling to it and know that God will answer because hope maketh not ashamed. It will not be disappointed. But listen, if you get through a trial and didn't experience God and didn't have his love shed about in our heart, you missed it. Because God is saying, I love you. That's why I brought that into your life. His love is what brings confidence. His love is what brings hope. His love is what initiated this whole process. And without God's love, we don't have anything. We don't have eternal life. We don't have hope in our Christian life. We have no motivation for what we do. And God is saying, I just want to pour out my love on you. And I think this is what's so amazing to me. <clears throat> when God leads us to a step of faith, let's just use this for instance. Let's say you get in a car wreck. That happened to me the other day. Okay, I was driving my parents' car last week, and I just ended up as icy. It was negative 13 degrees. I know that's unfathomable for some of you. And I hit some ice and just ran into a wall. Okay, wrecked the car. It was a longer story because even the night before, we had some car issues. And so you just kind of look at these things like, man, what is God doing? Now I wrecked the car. It's not even my car. It's my parents' car. And so then you can just look at the situation and say, man, what is God doing? Well, now we've got to pay for this and we've got to pay for this. And man, we, our radiator went out. I mean, everything was going wrong. And yet, in the midst of that, we shouldn't be looking for, oh, look, God is going to do this so that he can do this and so that we can get to the end and say, oh, God working. He's just saying, look, look who I am. I want you to know who I am. And when you know who I am, you'll know I provide for your needs. Now think about the three Hebrew children that were cast in the fiery furnace. They didn't see the answer, yet they were convinced that God loved them. Amen. They said, we will not compromise who we are, but we know that God will deliver us. Were they still believing that when they were thrown into the fire itself? Oh, I'm sure they were. They weren't doubting God. They're saying, even if we don't see the fulfillment of what we think God has promised us, God is still good. And yet God provided a solution when they were in the midst of the fire because they simply trusted God and said, God doesn't have to answer as long as he shows me who he is. Yet God is good enough to answer because that is who he is. And so God's love, 
That's what he wants to pour out on you. So a tribulation, when God tests your faith, when God says, give this, God, I don't have money for that. Give it. And understand that God, though it may be hard, wants to pour out his love. And he wants you to see it's all about him. Don't seek what God can do for you. Seek who God is. Let me read you a poem. This was helpful for me. And actually, I was praying one day, kneeling next to my bed, in a waiting period in my life. And my mom sent me this poem. And it was helpful for me. It kind of encapsulated where I was at in my own journey on this. And it, I feel like it really represents this aspect of waiting. But it's, the poem is called Wait. It's by a man named Russell Kelfer. Desperately, helplessly, longingly I cried. Quietly, patiently, lovingly, God replied. I pled and I wept for a clue to my fate. And the master so gently said, wait. Wait? You say wait? My indignant reply. Lord, I need answers. I need to know why. Is your hand shortened or have you not heard? By faith I have asked and I'm claiming your word. My future and all to which I relate hangs in the balance. And you tell me to wait? I'm needing a yes, a go-ahead sign, or even a no to which I can resign. You promised, dear Lord, that if we believe, we need but to ask and we shall receive. And Lord, I've been asking and this is my cry. I'm weary of asking. I need a reply. Then quietly, softly, I learned of my fate. As the master replied again, wait. So I slumped in my chair, defeated and taught, and I grumbled to God, so I'm waiting for what? He seemed then to kneel, and his eyes met with mine. And he tenderly said, I could give you a sign. I could shake the heavens and darken the sun. I could raise the dead and cause mountains to run. I could give all you seek and pleased you would be. You'd have what you want but you wouldn't know me. You'd not learn to see through clouds of despair. You'd not learn to trust just by knowing I'm there. You'd not know the joy of resting in me when darkness and silence are all you can see. You'd never experience the fullness of love when the peace of my spirit descends like a dove. You would know that I give and I save for a start, but you'd not know the depth of the beat of my heart. The glow of my comfort laid into the night. The faith that I give when you walk without sight. Yes, your dearest dreams overnight would come true. But oh, the loss if you missed what I'm doing in you. So be silent, my child. And in time you will see that the greatest of gifts is to truly know me. And though oft my answers seem terribly late, my most precious answer of all is still wait. You see, I think in our lives sometimes we think it's an injustice on God's part to hold back some kind of provision. Or, God, you promised, and why aren't you providing? He's saying, stop looking for that. He's, look for me. I want to know you. I want you to know me. And we think it's God's fault. It's our fault. We're the ones holding back because we won't trust him. God, you, couldn't, you really couldn't provide for this. Look, it's thousands of dollars. God, I, I can't trust you. He's saying, just get to know me. And the problem is then we begin to figure it out and say, well, if I can do this and pick up this job and go this place, and if I can maybe go here, then I could probably make the money. And God's saying, that's not it. And we get ourselves in more problems. Man, this relationship, this is really hard. I haven't gotten along with this person for 10 years. And why should I trust God? They were the ones that hurt me in the first place. God is saying, just get to know me and I'll help you resolve it. Listen, God, this child, they haven't talked to me in years. They're my son. I love them. God, you couldn't work this out for good. God, I'm done with it all. And I promised, you, I've asked and you've promised, God, you can't be good. God wants to resolve that, but he wants you to know him. When you know him, that changes everything. 
God's not concerned with you knowing what he can do for you. Because when he knows that you know him, he'll show you what he can do. And God doesn't want you to prove to him that you're worth anything more than he already says you are. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let me read one final quote from Spurgeon that, that sums it up. Patience, which we could never gain have we never had a trouble, is given to us. An experience, which we could never have if we did not patiently endure the trouble, we obtain. We get pearls out of these deep seas. We get treasures out of these blazing furnaces, which seem to smelt our blessings, that they may come to us rich and pure. And above all, there rises a glorious hope, never to be drowned, never to be ashamed, because we feel the love of God shed abroad in our hearts like a sweet perfume, making every part of our nature fragrant, because the Holy Ghost is there. Listen, some of you tonight are content with a home in heaven for all of eternity. And yes, that's a blessing. But listen, there's so much more. There's a whole compartment full of gold in store for you. And you've got a tank sitting at home and you're enjoying that. Listen, open it up and find out what God wants to do in your life. Stop sitting around just saying, I'll be in heaven someday. God's, God's, well, I don't know if God's working. God is working. He wants you to know it. And he wants you to be a part of it. Don't resist trials. Don't resist temptations. And when you're in the middle of it, don't forsake the process. Say, God, what are you trying to teach me about yourself? The Christian life is not about getting to know what God does, but getting to know what God is. One final thought. My dad was preaching on Sunday morning. He, met, he was in Hebrews 11. I'm sorry, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11, obviously, is the passage that talks about faith. That's where we started tonight. And it talks about men and women who chose to trust God no matter what. Think about some of them. Think about Noah. Against the odds. He didn't see, he had never seen rain before. So he's trusting something that God had told him that made no human sense. Think about Moses. Moses admitted to God he was unworthy, yet he chose to trust God. And all these men and women are listed in the book of Hebrews, some of which, as we mentioned earlier, died without even seeing God provide. And yet it says in the end of Hebrews chapter 11 that, let me get there real quick, it was for us to be able to experience more than they saw. The very end of chapter 11 says this, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. And then it says in verse number 1 of chapter 12, Wherefore then, seeing we also are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, in light of all these, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And here it is, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. But what? Looking unto Jesus. Not looking unto what Jesus does. Looking for what he's going to do in the future. No, just looking unto Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Listen, it's all about Jesus. Stop seeking what God's trying to do. Seek Jesus, and he'll prove to you what he can do. And it will be far above what you could imagine and far above what you could even come up with. So what is it for you tonight? Is it a trial that you're resisting? Maybe it's a step of faith you're resistant to take because you're scared of what could come. No, that step of faith is what God has put in front of you so that you can experience him. Or maybe you're in the midst of a trial where you don't see where God is working. It, it seems in a sense that it's just darkness all around you. Begin just to seek God. Don't even try and understand what God is doing as much as who God is. Because when you understand who God is, you know what he will do. He'll show it to you. But the greatest thing, he'll show you his love. Nothing is better than the love of God and the presence of God in your life. That's why we're here. Yes, it's a blessing you're saved, but God wants you to experience his presence. You know, when we get to heaven, what makes heaven heaven is Jesus. 
Heaven is not wonderful because of the streets of gold, though that will be wonderful. The preacher said this last week when I was at church. He said, God created the world in six days, and he's been spending 2,000 years preparing heaven. That's going to be a pretty good place. It's going to be amazing. It is, and I can't wait till we get there. We sang about it tonight when we all get to heaven. But the, the beauty and the joy of heaven is not what's there. It's who's there. And if you're, if you're intent on going to heaven because of what you can do or see there, you've missed it. You go to heaven to be with Jesus. And your Christian life is no different. You see, when you get to heaven, you're not going to take receipts of all the things God provided for you. Look, look, God gave me this, God gave me this. No, you're going to have your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not going to have all the things God provided. Look, God paid off this house. Look, God gave me a brand new car. No, but you'll be with Jesus. And so in our life, if we're so concerned with all these things and all this stuff that, yes, God wants to give us and he wants to bless us with, but if we don't seek him, we've missed it. Because the joy of your Christian life is a relationship with Jesus. That's what's so much more. That's what Paul said. Not only so, there's so much more. More than a home in heaven even is a relationship with Jesus. Are you going to trust him tonight and discover who he is, not just what he can do? Let's pray.